All right, welcome back to Doors of the Mind. Today we're going to be covering books two and three of the Broken Empire series. We're going to be reading, talking about King of Thorns and Emperor of Thorns. And you might ask why we're doing both books together. Well, Robbie's a little bit older than me, not so good with the technology, and uh, he messed up and clicked the wrong button last time. So we recorded for an hour. We had some pretty quality shit, to be honest. And uh, yeah, none of it stayed because Robbie's old and we're using old technology that's uh, very cheap. So Kyle, I'm sorry. I don't know how many times I have to tell you I'm sorry, but apparently, you know, 50 times isn't good enough. Yeah, I mean, my comedic genius was really on point on the last one, but so it goes. (laughs) It's gone to the ether. We just talked to ourselves for an hour. Also, I'm only like four years older than you. That's like, what, that's what are you talking that's about? part of another generation, I'm pretty sure. Um, but you know, I was only bitter about it for a week or two, and uh, <laughs> hopefully, this one will be as interesting. If it's not, if you don't like this content, blame him, not me. Uh, <laughs> all right, so yeah, so if you wanted us to talk about each book individually. And you want us to speculate on what we think is going to happen in book three. That's just not going to be able to happen because we've read it now. But let's get into books two and three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually uh, pretty excited because the last series wasn't a finished series. We finally get a... Right. That's cool. You know, we've completed a entire work and we get to see, you know, the full picture. It's like seeing like half the... Michelangelo or something <laughs> being like, man, this, uh, this, this isn't really anything impressive. Right. Okay. Was this you, some weird art? I don't understand where you don't finish it and that makes it better. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with that, but I don't know. You'll have to ask Patrick Rothfuss any day now. Book three, any day. Yeah. So King of Thorns, Emperor of Thorns, we get to see Jorg's journey to the throne. Well, let's start off with uh, which book better held your attention, King of Thorns or Emperor of Thorns? Um, good question. Uh, probably the s- second book. Although, when he's with the bad dogs, I couldn't put the book down. I'm yeah, like, this is so intense. This mm. is crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was like the one time where I was like, maybe something crazy happens. And mm-hmm. like, it felt like he wasn't going to make it, even right. though it's in the past and you know, he does it. It felt like that's good writing. I mean, wow. This is like, he is in a really bad spot, mm-hmm. but I would say overall, probably book two, I think was, yeah, I would say book two too, because the, you know, both books jump back and forth between like four years, five years ago and the present. In book two, I was extremely interested in both the present and the past versus book three, the journey um, to the congression. I was not just like it was okay, but it wasn't like what's going to happen next. I'm enthralled. Instead, it was like plot building. He's with Catherine, who guess what? Catherine lived. I called that. Robbie said she died. I called that shit. That's that's Um, true. So the last podcast, you know, the forgotten podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had predicted that Catherine did not live. 
And yeah, my point was you don't develop a character for this long to let her die in just like a very quiet manner. Right. But but to be fair, it says that she gets like burned. Yeah, it says she is like burned to death. And, and book three never said like how she got away. <laughs> yeah, but, she just lives. And yeah. Like, okay, I guess this is some magical loophole. I don't quite understand. Yeah, but looking at book two, I I really liked it. Um, I thought the building of Jorg's character was really solid in terms of his like contrast with his father, um, the hatred that they built in the very beginning with Justice the dog. Oh yeah, and then Catherine Which, being let's against. Talk about that scene. Okay. Bit. Okay. So he breaks the globe. His dad has this punishment for him, his beloved dog. And just imagine, okay, when you're a kid, and I don't know if, did you grow up with pets? A dog, um, a cat? I had a hamster for like a year. My mom said I couldn't take care of it, and she gave it away. Did so. you happen to like, so when me and my brothers had a hamster, we would like put the hamster in one of those like plastic balls, uh -huh. and we would, Roll it down the stairs. Oh God! <laughs> so, so I don't know. I don't know if you did that. And then Am I the hamster, the serial killer, <laughs> the hamster mysteriously, uh, was uh not disappeared, but uh my our mom said she was cleaning the cage and the hamster got out and she couldn't find it. We think she actually just sent the hamster away because uh. Both of us lost hamsters. I don't think I did anything evil to mine, but <laughs> wow. That, that's uh, a connection right there. Yeah, but, you know, I grew up with dogs. And when you grow up with a dog as a kid, it's like, oh, my God, this dog's like your best friend. You love it. You know, my dogs used to jump up, sleep in the bed with me, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, was, as a kid, it's like, oh, my God, it's like my best friend. So to have... Yeah. To do this to your dog. Yeah, so then, you know, the king orders Jorg to break its legs and then set it on fire. And then he goes to kill his dad, but misses. Mm -hmm. Man, talk about a strong scene that really, I think, depicts the tension between his dad and, and Jorg. And it's interesting, too, how he kind of talks about how father, like, taught him to always strike, to never be to never think twice, never to compromise. And it's like who Jorg is, is both negatively and positively affected by, has been affected by his father. Like right. he's taken the lessons of ruthlessness, but kind of through the second and third book, he becomes less ruthless in terms of just like hating all people, but still equally ruthless to win the game. I, I really like Jorg's character in terms of, he will do anything cruel, evil. He'll act first right away to accomplish his goals. But then he also has some more compassion towards people. Like he talks about how like he wants Gorgoth's approval. And he through these random means of people, he says, like, I liked him from the start. And he does have respect for people and wants to save certain people, but he still has that good balance. And I really appreciate that character growth. I thought it was really well done. One of the more in-depth characters i think i've read about yeah oh yeah i mean in terms of like character development with jorg it is 
I think top notch in terms of a singular character being developed through throughout a series. I do kind of wonder if that compassion is supposed to be displayed as he gets older and he starts, mm -hmm. you know, as a 14 year old, he's just, he's part of a, a bandit crew. You find out that he in the third book gets raped by a priest, yeah, which was fucking insane. I mean, just savage. Yeah. The painting of the church was one that's like, you know, you see like, elements of things that have happened and they incorporated them and just the worst they took the worst parts of it and put it in there right um and so you see this um yeah i mean you see why he hates uh the priesthood so much uh-huh um and what's interesting too is he does have a reverence kind of for religion still in some way where like you know he kills the pope and then he goes to uh, uh, Father Gomsty, and he's like, you are now going to be the Pope. The person who didn't want to be the Pope for power, but who has, like, honest faith. You'll be the Pope, and you can actually, like, do something with it. And even to uh, Red Kent, you know, his religious guy, who's probably pretty not okay with him killing the Pope. Right. He's like, there was no uh, aspect of God in that person. I promise you that. And he's like, if you think I should die, strike me down. And it's like, he was willing to do that. And that shows some compassion for other people. You know, that for one second, he said, I will give it all up. I thought that was another just awesome moment in the series. Yeah. So you start seeing kind of these pieces fit together as, you know, you're trekking through this character's past. Um, what is interesting is he... Mark Lawrence, you know, I don't know what his religious views are, but he seems to be almost kind of indicating something about the church at large. Mm -hmm. I mean, his church is clearly uh, supposed to represent like the Catholic church. Yeah. Um, yeah. It being centered in Roma, all that. Right. Which would be modern day Italy, we know, because mm -hmm. we know this is happening in postmodern Europe. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's other authors that do that. Stephen King is another author who picks up on different themes of kind of the religious zealot, the stand yeah. is, a, is a big book where that kind of happens. Um, uh, the mist, I don't know if you've seen the seen, movie, if you've seen the movie, um, the, you know, that's kind of what happens. You see that religious nut. That, mm -hmm. like, right. Yeah. Things of this is like God's apocalypse or something. Right. And so these, sometimes I see authors kind of use their story to kind of communicate something about their religious views. And I have no idea if Mark Lawrence actually holds to that, if he was just creating this environment where that happens. Right. Um, but there seems to be kind of an underlying tone of the religious authorities are here for power. They're here yes. for personal gain. Right. They're here for really kind of malicious means. I don't know what you thought about that. Um, I mean, I just thought it was a, a good world building thing. You know, I didn't look at like Mark Lawrence as an individual through it. Yeah. But I thought he did a good job of building the world with it. He showed 
um, you know, they're fighting for power. All of these people, part, people who are part of the congression, and it shows that the church is also fighting for power. You mm-hmm. saw that the Gilding Guard was against the church, and um, if anything, that just shows that yeah, that the church isn't like representing the good of the people. You know, because those are people who are sent to serve the emperor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a good tool for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. It's you know, there's been religious atrocities that have happened under the church's name and right i'm pretty sure that so the the pope was pope Pius, and i'm pretty sure i meant to fact check this but i'm pretty sure it was one of the pope Piuses that was like the most infamous for leading the crusades Mm. so it's like the fact that that pope was named pope Pius the whatever it was it's like another reference to like atrocities committed by the church over time yeah so there seems to be an indication of, you know, these people in power almost kind of use God's name in a way to further their own agenda. Mm-hmm. Man, I find that fascinating. Yeah, it was honestly, good writing. It's like, man, that that probably, you know, that definitely happens in our world today. People will use God to promote their own, mm-hmm. you know, gain. Right. Uh, it's messed up. Not cool. Yeah, totally think it's wrong. But you know, one of the things I love about fantasy, one of the reasons I read fantasy is I find that the author is able to expose issues in, you know, their own created world, but in ways that are kind of portrayed to our own world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's a deep rabbit hole. <laughs> right. <know>? So <laughs> here I got, I got a side point for something you mentioned about how, this series definitely takes place in Europe, right? And I think I know why it had to take place in Europe. Do you know why? No. So it had to take place in Europe because um, Jorg in the second book takes down Orin of Arrow, right? With the Colt 45, which was like a very rare thing. And if this series had taken place in America, there would have been like 3 million guns laying around and guns wouldn't have been (laughs) some rare thing. So it had to be in Europe so that guns were, you know, there's only like one of them around <laughs> for them to accomplish their goals. So otherwise, everyone had guns, and it would have been a very different story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, ultimately, you know, with both these books, his character development, you know, to kind of get back to that of Jorg is incredibly high. But I, I feel like one of the big downfalls of this book is, you know, you don't see that same character development with Mackin. You know, you kind mm-hmm. of, he hints at different things. You kind of get more of his past throughout the book. Yeah. You've brought up. He's like a good character, but not a thoroughly developed character. Right, right. And you really see that throughout. Um, I mean, you find out in the third book, you know, he's getting high all the time by this drug mm-hmm. that he's constantly using to yeah. get over his uh, daughter's death. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you find out different things, but you don't really feel like, man, I really like know this character. Um, yeah, I think the character that was best developed was honestly Gorgoth. Um, I love Gorgoth's character. I love that Jorg seeks his approval. Um, I love that, you know, when 
Gorgoth is in the first book with Gog and Magog. He's like, they are going to die. And then you see kind of the progression where Gog's living and Gorgoth um, doesn't necessarily seem to be super caring for him. But then in the third book, um, Jorg goes to him and says, I need, you know, you don't like me. I get that. But you need to protect my son for me. And Gorgoth says, like, you convinced me that Gog was worth saving. So, therefore, I'll protect your child. And he does. That, that was, to me, the best character development. Um, but, yeah, I see what you're saying with, like, lacking. Like, I thought after the second book, Catherine's development was moving forward. But in the third book, Catherine has no movement at all. She's just there. Yeah. And she, like, goes with Jorg in his dreams and helps him. But... You don't really know what her motives fully are. Like, does she want Jorg to die? Not to die. Even at the very, very end of the book, um, when Jorg is going to kill himself, it says Catherine ran forward yelling, either kill him or don't kill him. He didn't know, which is funny. <laughs> but, yeah, you don't necessarily see her character really strive forward. Yeah. It, it's a book from one person's perspective. And right. I understand why there isn't further character development. Once you find out, spoiler alert, you guys should just read the book before li listening to this podcast. Absolutely. But, you know, once you find out that the data memory of himself is the one recording all, all the events that take place, um, you understand why there's so much development of Jorg, but at the same time, you know, one of the good storytelling elements is that you're building multiple characters uh, story. You're understanding why the characters are doing what they're doing. And, you know, you'll understand, you know, Mackin or Red Kent, they're with Jorg because they don't see anyone else kind of winning mm -hmm. this whole thing. But, you know, that lacking character development, I think ultimately hurts uh, the overall story where when characters do pass, you know, when he's with the bad dogs and I forget what the girl's name is, but he's with the girl, he's with Sonny and they end up dying. It's like, okay, that, sucks but i really don't care one way or hmm. another that they died just that the story is is progressing and moving forward um and so i i do feel like on on some level um you know with jor gets some of the best character development i think you can get of a singular character um top notch but with some of the other characters, you know, you get next to none in terms mm. of character development. And, you know, I, th I think that hurts the story a little bit. I think the story really kind of moves forward based on the plot, based on George's character it, and based on kind of understanding more of the world. Yeah. It's one of those things where it makes a good movie where you're following the character, but like the world building is less. But like the as a movie, you know, it's like 
we're following this person and we're flying forward and there's always new things happening. It makes sense. But yeah, I get it when you're reading a series, you kind of want to like really love these characters. And I mean, I think that while Mark Lawrence may not develop them all, I think his writing is really good and like small lines that are like good for showing the character. But I see what you mean with like, not showing like the depth of them and making you care for them. Like uh, I love at the end of the second book when Jorg makes Red Kent a knight and like they show how much that means to him and stuff. Right. It's like that is good writing and a nice moment and I really liked it. But it's not like I fully understand the character of Red Kent through that. Right. Totally. Yeah, I love that moment. But at the same time, you know, you're – almost left like wanting more mm-hmm. it's like like you're almost yeah. like where's like chapters showing red kent's history from his perspective yeah because he doesn't i mean he does each book develop one other character i think i guess i don't remember in the first book there's another character who had like the point of view but the second book um you have Catherine's letters and the third book you have cella's story yeah. So he does some development there, you know, but yeah, you're not like getting Red Kent's journey, Macon's journey, Riki's journey, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And in the third book, he kind of opens up more in terms of the um, magic system of the world and how it works. Mm-hmm. You learn more about these data memories um yeah i really liked that so what do you think of the magic system where essentially so the builders had somehow made it so that your wills can affect the world right yeah um i liked it i liked that you know they called they had like a cool name for it with death sworn air sworn fire sworn um i liked that it seemed to be something that was accessible as like Catherine, be, you know, chose to delve into this world and was able to become one of them. Mm. Um, and it, it was like a good mix where like characters were able to do it and they weren't like totally overpowered. But then like most of the normal people didn't have any kind of power, you know, like everyone in the congression was just normal people except for those, uh, except for Luntar, the silent, silent sister and the Red Queen. Um, I guess my only complaint about the magic system would be that they didn't seem as powerful as I wanted them to be. Mm. Um, like, I don't really know what the point of all the magic is. And I, maybe I missed it, but I don't, when at the very, very end where they like turn the table, I don't remember what that was a reference to at all. Like to close the magic system kind of. Oh, yeah. I don't really know what that was. Yeah, I guess, I guess for the magic system, I'd say there's cool parts. I like the idea of, like, you're this sworn. You've committed to this. But it never really played out that much to me. Right. He seems, I guess my, you know, the magic system is interesting. Um, there's similar magic systems and a couple of other books. But my biggest complaint is it doesn't seem fully flushed out. Okay. It seems like it's, you know, half-baked. 
where you understand, okay, you know, it's by people's will, but at the same time, Jorg was fire sworn and death sworn at one point, and then they kind of canceled each other out in book two. So he was able to go through the gate in book three, but it doesn't really explain how that happened or why. Mm-hmm. I think I think part of that is because you're from Jorg's perspective, and Jorg doesn't understand it. You know, like these people are very like lost in the world they're in. They're in post-apocalyptic world, and like they're trying to figure shit out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, sure, but you know, part of that is. You know, he's still telling a story through Jorg's eyes, sure. But at the same time, you know, he's the author of this story. Uh, You know, he's the one who gets to create the events that could explain how this magic system works. So at the end of the day, he's Mark Lawrence is still in control of how he goes Mm. through explaining the magic system. You know, Fexler hell he could have been the one to explain it more fully um and i was kind of expecting that in book three like okay finally we're gonna understand fully how this works you know it it almost you know by opening up one door he opens up several others and i feel like by the end of the series he doesn't actually end up closing those doors you know for example you had brought up you know the closing the builders whatever you know way that they had opened up the world to this magic it doesn't really explain how the builders did that or why or um you know um how he was able to close it it just kind of says that it happens and we're supposed to accept that as yeah well that's that's just i'm gonna i want to give mark lawrence some props actually i just decided that i like the fact that for once we don't have a book where we have a student of a subject and there's an object obvious master of it and he's just trying to teach the student you know i'm gonna say you know what fine props to you for for once we just don't know like i don't know like i kind of like it just because it's different yeah because in every other series we have like the master teaching the young person who then like gains power in it whereas this was just like it was, it was different. I'm not saying it was like perfectly dumb. It was different in the fact that he doesn't become a master of magic. He has no ultimate abilities that make him strong. Even in the end, you know. Except hmm, for book the, two. But yeah. <laughs> book two is his superpower. Yeah, that's how he like defeats Chella. I mean, well, I, I mean, I do. I see what you're saying. And I like that his character is that overpowered. He relies on his wit. He relies on his ability to outthink his opponents. And I've seen stories where the magic system isn't completely flushed out and it works well. I don't think this is one of those books. It seems, and the reason why is because it seems that he introduces things because it fits in the story, but not necessarily that it fits in the magic system yeah. that he's explaining. I'll, I'll concede the point at least that twice Jorg gets out of the situation. Once in the swamps with Chella, he like lets all of his dead flow through him. 
And then at the very end against the dead king, he lets the will of the people flow through him. And you're like, what? Like, what magic is that? The people's will? That's another one now? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I love a unique killing of the end. But that was like, why would this, the people's will, like, because you're the official emperor, you own the people's will? Why? I don't really know if that. Yeah. That wasn't like Jorg's craftiness or Jorg's ruthlessness winning. That was almost like a plot hole loop. Yeah, right. And that's what I kind of feel like the magic system does is it serves a purpose in the plot, but it's not fully flushed out. And yeah. Explained. All right. Well, we don't think the magic system is perfect. There's cool elements. Um, but yeah, let's... Let's call it right there, and uh, we'll finish up the series in the next episode. All right. We'll catch you in a minute. Make sure you keep keep listening. All right. Welcome to Doors of the Mind. We're doing part two on both books, King of Thorns and Emperor of Thorns, finishing up with the series. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the ending of emperor of thorns yeah controversial ending here at least in my mind what do you think about it i liked all the way up until jorg became the emperor like this series is the building of jorg to become emperor and i think the series did an amazing job getting to that point and then it all fell off. So, like, I love he's at Congression. He runs into, uh, oh, what's the Watch Me guy's name? Oh, Dr. Taproot or something? Yeah, Taproot. Love Taproot getting in there. He, like, sees all, even his line where he's like, numbers don't lie, men do. Tying that all in with, like, Kualasandi and all that. Like, I like all that part. I almost, like, wanted to go back and count the most to see if, when he said that he lied about the numbers because men can lie. I don't know. I don't think he did, but I like that whole build. I love that Jorg, you know, like broke that guy's finger at congression to show that he's weak to try to scatter and like get them to pick up on him, you know, pick up a few votes. I love that. He just murdered a bunch of people in dark room because he's like following the law of congression. He snuck his weapon in there. But then once he becomes emperor, um, I thought that his fight with the dead king was very meh. Then he beats the dead king. And then I really liked that he did kill himself. I thought that was badass. But then I didn't like his post-death parts. Mm. So that's where I'm at. I loved the build, hated the fight. Loved what happened right after, but then hated the actual after. It was like the build was perfect. And then the finish was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I felt similar. I hated the ending overall. Really? I thought it was as bad as the Dark Tower ending. If well, not worse. Uh, I don't hate the Dark Tower ending. 
Yeah, but, but it's a controversial ending. Yes, you know, okay. Uh, okay, whether or not you like it or dislike it. You can I, dislike it and say that you also dislike this. Listen, we could do a, a episode on the Dark Tower series at some point. I like that idea. Instead of digging into that freaking can of worms. I love the Dark Tower series as a whole. The ending, not great. In my opinion. Felt similar about this. I really enjoyed the series uh, overall. Um, yeah. Uh, when when did you figure out that the dead king was going to be William? Uh, I started guessing at some point in the third book that maybe this is his brother. Yeah. I, would, I wouldn't say I was totally blindsided by it. Um, My thought was that you... You knew it'd be someone because you can't have this villain for three books and it's just like a totally isolated character. Right. So I was like, okay, it's gonna be someone we know. Then when Jorg's father died, I thought it was gonna be Oladon. Like I didn't know how that was gonna work, but I thought it was gonna be Oladon until he goes to the uh, carriage that's Oladon's carriage, and he's like, Maybe the dead king is gonna be in here. And Catherine's in there. I forget exactly how I knew it wouldn't be him there. But then, you know, with like 50 pages left, I was like trying to kind of considering who it could be. And then like, I feel like this is the most dead giveaway. It was when Cella said like, and then I knew who the dead king reminded me of. It's like, okay, it's obviously someone in George's family. And I kind of remembered all those parts where they talked about how William shouldn't have died. William had this iron will. William would never back down. And George said, like, when the angel kind of appeared to William, I guarantee that he didn't, like, go quietly with her. That's the part where I was like, okay, it's probably going to be William. And it, it was. Right. And you had that whole prophecy about the two and Kraus and how important that would be. Right. You know, I didn't hate the reveal. I thought that was fine. Yeah, I thought it was a good build. I'm fine with a main character dying. That's not my biggest hang, hang up. My hang up with it, and I even love the stuff at Congression where he kind of bullies his way to be Emperor. Um, but how he defeats the Dead King, you know, that part about that you brought up in the last episode about him having the will of the people behind him. I thought that was just a total loophole. Um, the whole reason he had to kill himself to go save William, I don't totally love that. Okay. Or not even really save William, but you know, to be there for his brother because they reject what we find is the made up heaven that people willed into existence. Yeah. Um, Huh? You, you know, the fact that he had to follow his brother to save him, uh, it just, I don't know. It was it too, like, touchy-feely for you? It's not or? that it was touchy-feely, but it's... I know you don't have a moat now, Kenny. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's it's that you don't really, you know, you have the story about his brother dying, but you don't really have that brotherly, familial story that's built 
into the actual story. It's just my brother died and I'm, you know, pissed or sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't really have the familial aspect. Like even in George's history, that could have been built up more of, oh, man, there was this time with William. I did this with William. We did this. But it's just it's I, it's, it's. I think he does do a good job with the familiar person personally because of how strongly like jory feels towards his son um i think that's like kind of similar like he names him william he obviously cares deeply for his son he wants his son to be protected so i i think that could like attribute towards the building of william yeah i mean you have the theme or the motive that that's kind of what's driven jorg so far um so I get that being like a motivational factor and an important part of George's character. But in terms of William as an actual character himself, who you would actually feel enough for George to go and, you know, save his brother. I think that's what doesn't, it's just kind of, again, part of the plot, just things moving forward. Um, I don't love him going into you know, this realm of the dead, turning some builder's cog, closing the system. Yeah, that was confusing. It's real weird that he has this data memory. How does the data memory know about Jorg's life in the dead world? It's it's possible that Bexler could have saved that and then created him. But, um, you know, ultimately it didn't really feel like... I had a sense of closure at the end of the story. Did, did you read the end note? Did your, did your copy have the end note at the end where uh, Mark kind of says, you know, I think that this is a beautiful series and I could have just kept writing it, but I wanted to kind of end it on a high note. I felt like that might've been part of it where the ending was, I don't want to say rushed, but, he was kind of just like, I'm going to reach an ending now. Um, I think that could be part of that too. Yeah. I mean, I respect that in an author. Um, but a good ending needs good closure. I think of, you know, some of my favorite series and the way they end. And there's a good way to go about ending a story where the storylines are, you know, tied off for the most part you feel like you have all your answers in this world um you know the characters have a ending point that's satisfying yeah. doesn't necessarily mean they need to make it but it but it's a satisfying ending mm-hmm. um you know i could have i think of an alternate ending it's like jorg could have defeated the dead king he talks about going beneath the citadel or the Uh congression place to fit in the eye um which he ended up using the eye in the past to free the bonds of fexler and give him control of the building Mm -hmm. but what if he went um to like an underground spot at the uh, congression area and there's, you know, a vast array of machines and he fits in, you know, the eye 
in it. That closes the builders, whatever, but he has to sacrifice himself to do it or something. Yeah. That would have been significantly more satisfying where it was like, okay, the dead king is going to come back. I know Will. I know what type of temperament he has. I know that he has this iron will that nothing's going to stop him. And so this, I must sacrifice myself to ultimately put an end to all of this. Mm -hmm. That Something like that. Well, maybe we'll get some, uh, like an I Am Legend, you know, where there's the original ending when this gets made into a movie, and then we'll get the I Am Legend edited <laughs> ending, which I like less, but uh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, as a whole, I would say I enjoyed the series, but the yeah. ending... So what, what would you give the series... On a rating the scale. The entire series as yeah. a whole? Yeah. No point in doing book two because we already did that and we lost right. that recording. So it, uh, I, I mean, that's what's difficult for me is the ending was bad enough to drop it a couple points. Oh, a couple points, man. In my perspective. Whereas the second book, I really loved it. Now, I didn't love it in the sense of being like a critical you know, critically analyzing, you know, the pros, right. analyzing the world building and mm -hmm. the magic system and the characters. We've kind of gone over that. I enjoyed it based on the novel itself. Yes. It's okay. based on the story itself. It was enjoyable. It was fun to read. It was exciting. There were, you know, some deep points that the author brings up, you know, in the way he writes. Um, you know, in terms of reading through it, it's a very fun read. Yes. I kind of liken it to uh, a Marvel movie. So when we go and see a Marvel movie, are we expecting the best acting in the world and the best plot and all these, you know, intricate things that we would see in something like The Revenant with like Leonardo DiCaprio? Wait. Okay, finish your point. So... You know, I'm saying we judge both these things on different scales. One's a blockbuster movie. One's a Academy Award winning. Wait, so you know, best actor. You're movies. saying that the Marvel movies are this great action, but it's not deep, and the Revenant is deep. Yeah, I strongly disagree. Not not deep in the sense of, um, deep in the sense of you're going to get top notch quality acting. No. You're fried. Wait, you think that Leonardo DiCaprio was top-notch? He, he won an Oscar for it. He won an Oscar for it. He should not have. The guy ate a dead fish. He almost got frostbite. Listen. What's this guy got to do for an Oscar? Quick tangent. Leonardo DiCaprio is a great actor. The Revenant is his worst movie of all time. I could act out the scenes of, oh, no, a bear hurt me, and then I'm going to limp around for two hours. Would you almost get frostbite? For $17 million or $80 million, I don't know what actors make, but, yeah, I could do all that. <laughs> um, no, The Revenant that's, that's is the true, worst but... Leonardo movie I've ever seen. So I will not say that that is the gold standard of a deeper movie. Okay, but you get my point of – what I'm saying. I is... get what you're trying to say, but you're saying it <laughs> wrong. Okay. 
what would be like uh the titanic or something i've never seen the titanic but uh well shame on you for not seeing the movie that everyone in the world has seen yeah pay me like one of your french girls or something i don't know <laughs> i've seen i've heard it the point is is there's movies where you would judge it based on different standard than a Marvel movie. And that's because you're watching the movie expecting something different. Okay. So for example, even with the Revenant, when you're seeing the Revenant, you aren't expecting some high action, high octane filled with humor, filled with, all these different things you're expecting drama you're expecting good acting regardless of what your opinion of the acting is you're expecting something vastly different than you would with a marvel movie with a marvel movie you're expecting to go watch it have a couple laughs see some bad guy get taken down sure and the good guys are ultimately going to win even the plot is generally scripted out bad, bad guy that, must lose bad guy strong yeah yeah i mean the good guys are gonna uh fight the bad guy in some encounter they're gonna lose they're gonna get stronger <laughs> or realize something and then they're gonna end up defeating the big bad yeah the general plot of all marvel movies and yeah we still go, go to them watch them because they're incredibly entertaining so you put it more in that category where you were entertained, you liked some of the lines, but you didn't love the the drama of it, the the depth of it. Yeah, so I would liken it to something similar as a Marvel movie, where if you're looking to critically analyze and have many characters fully developed and a well-balanced, well uh, intricate magic system with very intricate and um, strong world building. You're not going to get that at those the best levels. There's other stories that are going to do that better. Mm -hmm. What you are going to get is a really intriguing character in Jorg, really good character development in Jorg. You're going to have a entertaining, fun read. I think it was incredibly fun to read through them. I mean, they're real page turners. Yeah, at no point in this series are you like, let's get through this part. Like, I just want this to end. Let's reach the resolution. I agree. Every part of this series, you're like, what is going to happen? Why is this significant? How will Jorg get out of this or turn this? I agree with that. Um, so personally, I, I really like the series. Um, I agree the ending is not perfect, but I think for me, I appreciate the the good, I mean, man, now I just feel like I'm falling in everything you're saying, where I really <laughs> like the lines in this book. I think it's very well written. I think it, there's a good balance of like action and pace mixed in with like some good uh extra details that like give a setting that's like well painted um so i give it an 8.25 out the of 10 entire series entire series i'm going 8.25 out of 10 because i was never bored um i love jorg i love multiple characters 
I never knew what was going to happen. Um, there's constant action. There's constant parts that tie into later parts. Like there's good foreshadowing. He didn't foreshadow like, you know, like 300 pages ahead. There'd be foreshadowing that would turn up. And then like within the next 30 pages, you're like, oh, he referenced that. And then it came back again. <laughs> I can pick up on that with my small brain. I like, <laughs> like, um, I loved like, I don't know, like a random thing was in the second book. He talked about how like two things can come together to like make something big happen. And he uses like two small things. And that's how he defeats Farrakind. Yeah. And there was like just little parts like that that kept tying back in. He kept tying back in. That's what I love about comedies when you build a set and like the ending joke ties back into earlier jokes. Um, you know, even though it's like really painted out, but with, um, God, I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Taproot, you know, he like references the lion with Jorg, and Jorg is like, Oh, can I let go of that lion? It's like just a little foreshadowing things, I really like that. I love all the characters. I love that uh, Catherine was like this weird character that's involved that Jorg kind of loves, but like he doesn't end up with Catherine. I like that. It's not just like typical scripted book. He like tries to kiss her and she pushes him away. And, um, I just liked all these small things yeah. that came together. I give 8.25. Again, I'm taking off a small bit, not a few points, but a small bit for the ending. But I really love the series. There's no part where I said that shouldn't be in here. This is dull or this doesn't fit this character's makeup. Yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah, if I were to put an actual number on it, I would probably give it so my own personal enjoyment scale, let's call it that. Okay. Might be weird. We're making, but, you know, yeah, just very specific we make up categories. Our own rules here. So. Yeah, let me check the wiki on <laughs> fictional podcasts. <laughs> so, on my own personal enjoyment, I would give it an eight out of ten. It was fun read. It probably would have been higher if the ending was better, but eight out of ten. Now, if I were to critically analyze it mm -hmm. and even think critically as I'm reading it, it would probably be a four to five out of ten. That's a drop. Yeah. Now, do I think it's a bad series? No. I think it's incredibly enjoyable. It's entertaining. It's fun. That's why I had so much enjoyment and fun out of it. But if I were to kind of take off the, you know, Marvel hat, so to speak, and put on the, you know, serious critic hat, I would have some serious issues. Listen, in the room we're in right now, Robbie has Risk, Risk, Operation, and Stratego. <laughs> These are all board games that are very fun, but they're not the most strategic game. It's called Stratego, but it's really not that strategic of a game. You put the bomb near the flag and you're two and you're spy. You're good to go. I feel like you enjoy things that don't have to be the most complex. Buy the things in your own home. <laughs> okay. There's a lot more things in my home than just these four This is all I see. I never open up and actually play. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I think would I recommend this series to someone? Absolutely, especially if they like darker themed books. Right. I get, mean, this is they get a point for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this I enjoy characters who are not black and white who <laughs> don't are perfectly good and they have mixed motives. Absolutely enjoy that. Very, you know, that's great. Now, if someone is like, well. I love Harry Potter. I love, you know, a very nice world where things are neatly written up in a bow. Are there dark things in Harry Potter? Sure. You know, Harry Potter's parents thought all this stuff. But you always know that the main character is going to be good for good's sake. Right. Right. The themes are very clear and the characters are very clear. This character's good. This character's You're going to murder a million people if I don't kill you, but I won't kill you because that'd make me bad. Uh. Yeah, which, not to get into Harry Potter, but, you know, for people who are jumping into fantasy and maybe they've read Harry Potter or something and they're expecting all fantasy to be this neatly, neat world where, you know, characters are black and white, there's good and evil. This is not that book. Things are very dark. Things are very evil. Characters are very evil. Even the main character, some would describe as having evil tendencies. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly intriguing, I think. And for people who find that intriguing, I think they would love this series. Now, if people are expecting, would I put this in you know, my top five list of fantasy books I've read. Probably not. Would I recommend it? Yeah. I think it's a great read. I don't know where I'd put it, but I I finished the series minus the that one or two little chapters. I finished the series thinking, wow, this is a great read. I was constantly intrigued. There's just lots of little parts. Like if I look through the notes I took, I can find so many little parts where I was like, ooh, that was a good line. Ooh, that was well done. I like this villain. I like these parts, you know. Even just like the description of him um, going to Ibn Fired, like all of those little pieces in that part were really well put together. The story was like complete. So I really like that. And I, I don't have my top like five listed, but this could, it would dance around there for me. Mm. Now, something interesting to note is this is Mark Lawrence's first books. Is it really? Yeah. So I've, he I've heard that the Red Sister, I think it's an, I'm not positive. I would have to research. Red Sister or Red Queen? No, it's called the, it's a new series. Oh. Called the Red Sister. Okay. I believe it's called The Red Sister. I may be totally off. I haven't read this Either series. Way. But I know this is Mark Lawrence's first series. And I hear he, in kind of this new series, I think it's called Red Sister. It's even better. I so would, I would read it. I'm pretty intrigued. Maybe that'll be our next series. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I also just love throughout the series that Things tie in to, you know, our world. Um, did you catch at the very end 
when Jorg, you know, at Congression killed all those people with his the iron rod he had, what he said about Lundist. Lundis, he said the Lundis trained him right to use the stick. And Lundis said he learned with one, his brother Luntar. So you learned that Lundis was Luntar's brother. That's crazy. Like that adds depth that I don't even really know what to think about. But like Lundis was this awesome teacher, great character. You learned that he's Luntar's brother. And he said they learned at Lee's Academy. I'm like, that's got to be a Bruce Lee reference, especially because he said that. Lundist would say, come at me, and he'd do the uh, the finger. Oh, yeah. Come at me, bro, which, yeah. like, Bruce Lee, you know, stands for in movies. So, like, just little things like that make me really love this series. Mm. Maybe I'm simpler than you. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh... Well, to be fair, I've probably more read more fantasy in kind of this line. Of... Well, I've listened to more lit RPGs, which... <laughs> Great genre, <laughs> if you ever want to dive in there, but it's a it's a unique thing. Well, for our next series, it's still up in the air, but stick with us for our next episode. I'm sure it's going to be exciting as we uh, pick up on a, a new series yeah. of fantasy. If you haven't read this series, highly recommend it. Tell your friends to read it. Tell your friends to listen to the podcast. Thank you.